Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page where you do get early access. Link will be down in the show notes. So I know everybody has been super distracted and super focused on coronavirus, but this past Sunday, the 15th, we did have our 11th of allegedly, possibly, maybe 12 Democratic debates. And on the topic of coronavirus, this had to be handled differently than the other debates prior to it um, because of obvious health concerns and because we are dealing with two rather old men and three moderators. So you have people in the room. Um, This was originally going to be held in Phoenix in front of a live audience. Um, They ended up moving it to D.C. and holding it on a CNN soundstage with just Biden and Bernie, who were six feet apart and did not shake hands before the debate. They bumped shoulders because we are practicing social distancing right now. And the three moderators, which made for a very interesting, very different debate viewing experience. And I'll kind of touch on that a little bit later. But overall, I really enjoyed this format. I think that if there is a 12th debate, I would very much like to see it in this format. I feel like the absence of an audience really helped to focus on the two candidates on stage without external distractions or playing for applause or playing for laughs. I I really like this format. I think it made it just a lot easier to watch and actually made it a lot more informative because you just had basically, like I said, the two men and the three moderators in a room and that's it. Like that was it. So if you didn't watch it, um, I think if you go on YouTube or I know CNN said that they were going to be putting up the entirety of the debate. I don't know if they did it on CNN.com or if you can catch it on YouTube, but it is very much a different experience. And I kind of recommend watching it because this one was actually honestly informative and entertaining in a way that the past ones have not been just because you've had so many people on stage and you've had those live audiences and it's just been kind of Kind of a little too much distraction, I think, especially after watching this format in this very controlled environment. I would support debates being held this way, going forth, even going into the general election. I feel like that would be incredibly helpful in eliminating a lot of the distraction that typically comes from these debate structures, especially televised debates. So getting into the debate topics themselves... Obviously, the first topic, first and foremost, is the coronavirus epidemic, because obviously this is kind of the most important thing going on in the country right now. And this is something, and I'm going to say something, I don't want people to take this the wrong way, because I'm not saying that there's anything good about coronavirus, but this situation, especially, obviously, when you're talking about coronavirus, obviously this segues into a discussion about healthcare. This helps Biden tremendously more than it helps Bernie because during this conversation, obviously the first question is, as president, what would you be doing right now to combat the spread of coronavirus within the United States? And Biden went on a very pragmatic sort of route where you get the sense that obviously he's not going to upset the current system. He's not going to be taking away people's private health insurance, that there would be a government response, possibly stimulus, possibly 
various other sorts of things. Um, both men, for what it's worth, do support free coronavirus testing and treatment that I'm not entirely sure. Like, there's a couple different bills floating around right now. Um, one of the bills, I think the one coming out of the House, mandates that your insurance provider has to pay for it, but then there's some technical difficulties with that. So how that's going to work logistically, I'm not entirely sure, but Biden does support that. Obviously, Bernie supports it, and he is still obviously pushing for Medicare for all. Here's where this works out a lot better for Biden than it does for Bernie. In this current moment, Medicare for all is going to be kind of a hard sell when you have to explain to people that under Bernie's plan, private health care, private insurance would cease to exist. That is not an argument that is going to go over well right now at all when there's a massive, massive public health scare in the country just pushing for a massive overhaul of insurance, of health care is just, that's going to be too much of a shock to people right now. Like, obviously, Bernie supporters will point to it and be like, this is why we need Medicare for all. And actually, Biden scored a really good point here while Bernie was advocating, like, this is why we need Medicare for all. Biden pointed out that Italy has single payer and Italy is having a massive, massive problem with coronavirus. And for what it's worth, Spain also has single payer and they are having issues too. So there's nothing about Medicare for all. There's nothing about a public option that would prevent something like this from happening. Whether it would deal with it better, I highly doubt it because obviously, and again, this is going to sound like a very callous argument to make, but it's true. When everybody has access, all of a sudden you're going to have these these just massive crushes to the hospitals, to the doctors, to just whatever healthcare provider people can get to. And not saying that that's a bad thing because I've been a massive, massive advocate for the U.S. to ramp up testing for coronavirus. We have to do this like last month. But the idea that having single-payer healthcare would somehow have mitigated this somehow or somehow like solved for it by now or something. Obviously, the case studies here just don't hold that up because like Biden said, Italy has single payer. Italy has basically had to go on a full lockdown to try to flatten their curve. Like it's like the whole country now is like you can go to the grocery store, you can go to the pharmacy and that's it. You have to stay in your house. You cannot go to work. You don't go to school. There's no social gatherings. There's no nothing. Everything is closed. It's nuts. But this is what they've had to do. So just right now, this current situation just does not lend itself to Bernie's plans for health care. And during the, the discussion and the questioning about what you would do as president for coronavirus, um, Biden just seemed a lot more nimble in being able to answer the question because Bernie, obviously, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Every time you want to make an argument about damn near anything on the planet, Bernie will manage to bring away to bring about Medicare for all. Like that's he's got his talking points and that's it. And it's just there's not a lot of flexibility and mobility in Bernie's message that allows for adaptation to current, very fast-moving events. And to me, that was abundantly obvious in watching this section of the debate that 
it just it, it's just not there. Like he just he can't pivot. He can't pivot as well as Biden can. And this is also another one where perhaps the lack of audience kind of hurt Bernie a little bit because obviously Bernie a lot of times I think plays to an audience. He plays for applause. He's he's feeding off of people. And whereas Biden is the exact opposite where people point out that he he can do very good in like very controlled environments like prepared speeches and stuff like that. But when you start getting him in front of people, he starts getting flustered. He starts getting angry. That's when you start getting these these flubs and him telling people that they don't know shit and calling them fat. So this format, I think, did help Biden a lot more than it helped Bernie. And I think it really exposes a lot of the weaknesses that a Bernie Sanders campaign has and what possibly a Bernie Sanders presidency would have. Because if you can't, if you can't bend here, if you can't, if you can't pivot, if you can't take your message and adapt it to the current environment, I mean, how, how are you going to do this with policy? I mean, you, you can't just have set policy and be like, okay, that's it. Like, it's just, there, there was, there was a distinct difference between the two men. And like I said, this part of the debate really, really showed it. Um, there was one question posed to both men about deploying the military to fight coronavirus, like within the United States, which left me scratching my head a little bit because the only military that can be deployed within the United States would be the National Guard. And there are some states. Um, I know Texas has. I think Jersey has mobilized their National Guards to assist in coronavirus treatment, testing, setting up facilities, stuff like that. But the question was about the military writ large. And both men were like, yes, I would. And I was just like, I don't understand what this question means. I don't know if they entirely understood what the question meant. But yeah, just a super weird question for me to have thrown in there. And to kind of wrap up this section of the debate, and which actually kind of helped pivot to the next section, was they actually discussed the logistics of what lockdowns would look like. And to me, that's very important. Um, Biden, again, was very pragmatic about this. Like, you have to think about when you're doing these things, you have to think about economic impact. You have to think about the impact on individuals. Like, it's not just simply a public health thing. You have to think about the economy. And Bernie kind of went along in the same vein, although we already know kind of how Bernie would feel about that. Eh. But at least that was a discussion. And I appreciated that being a discussion because I, I think a lot of people are glossing over for right now, for the sake of public health arguments, which I, I understand, I get it, are glossing over the economic problems with lockdowns and curfews and banning certain kinds of activities. And it was just nice to see. And it it was interesting in the way that they just kind of were allowed to talk. Like there wasn't a lot of moderator interruption. There wasn't, obviously there was no crowd interruption. So they were able to just like literally sit there and like talk shit out. It was, it was honestly fascinating. It was honestly interesting. But from there, we went to discussing our current situation and comparing it to 2008 as far as a discussion of bailouts or stimulus or anything like that. And there was 
a fairly long discussion about who voted for what in 2008. And there was a little bit of finger pointing and saying, well, you voted for this and you didn't vote for that. Honestly, I don't feel like that whole argument is a very fair argument in the first place. I don't think you can compare 2008 to today. It's an entirely different situation. I don't think that holding anybody's record of what they did and did not vote for in 2008 is any kind of indicator or any kind of any kind of anything really that should be any kind of informative of how one would handle things here in 2020. In 2008, there were people who acted badly. You had institutions that acted badly and they got bailed out and feel however you want to feel about that. There's always the argument that made that they paid everything back with interest and yada, yada, yada. But to me, it still sets up the, the, the idea that if you do these sorts of bad actions, that the government will come and bail you out. So there's that. And today, the problems that are occurring and the industries that are being impacted, it's not due to their own malfeasance. It's not due to anything they did. Like the airline industry suffering right now is not due to anything it did. The tourism industry, the hospitality industry, all of these industries that are going to be impacted, it's not due to their bad actions. It's due to a global pandemic. And so I think that when you're thinking about how to address these sorts of things when it comes to bailouts and stuff like that, it's a different beast because you're not assigning blame to anybody. Like it's not any of these industries fault. Like it's not, well, you fucked up and you created this bubble and it crashed and then you got your ass in a sling and then we had to come save you. Like that's not what's happening here. So I don't feel like that particular argument is a good one to make. But it was interesting to watch, like I said, the two of them just sit there and kind of debate, like actually debate it out. But moving on from that section of the debate, we then went into a discussion about Social Security and Medicare, which turned into a debate between the two men of who's going to destroy Social Security. The answer is neither one of them. And kind of the discussion here between Bernie and Biden was Biden's past record of not actually saying that he wants to cut Social Security, but advocating for things like raising the retirement age or capping the cost of living increases, things like that to try to help get Social Security under control. Obviously, Bernie Sanders doesn't agree with any of this, but there was a discussion about that. But the ultimately, the thing is here, neither man is going to touch Social Security which is bad because this is a problem that is going to be in the next presidential term, be it Trump, be it Biden, be it Bernie, be it whoever, it's going to have to be dealt with. Like we're reaching zero hour on this. Somebody's going to have to start doing something. So this idea that you can just leave it alone and I'm going to protect it. And da, 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 da. it's like, that's not going to work. And for what it's worth, Trump's tweet after the debate, because there's always a Trump tweet after the debate. He pointed out that I'm not going to touch your social security or your Medicare. And he also called the debate boring, which it wasn't boring. But yeah, just that doesn't make me feel happy because these are things that really do need to be discussed. And I'm not feeling super confident that in this next presidential term, anybody will give any kind of serious thought to what the hell are we going to do 
with Social Security. <laughs> Hopefully, coronavirus doesn't kill off all the old people and we still have to have this discussion. But I'm, I'm sure we will still have to have the discussion. <laughs> that was morbid. I'm sorry. But <laughs> if you don't laugh about coronavirus right now, you're going to start crying because this is just, oh my God, this is going to get so bad, everyone. But moving on in the debate, um... There was a question asked, and I forget exactly how the question was verbalized, but the upshot of it was that Biden did say that if Bernie was the candidate, which is looking increasingly unlikely, that he would campaign for Bernie, and he would do so gladly, and he would do so enthusiastically. Bernie did not make the same commitment to Biden. Oh boy. Um, yeah. <laughs> Seeing as it does look like Biden is going to be the nominee, although the primary schedule has gotten a little sideways because of coronavirus, um, I think a lot of states pushing it back, it's just delaying the inevitable, but the idea that, and I guess take it for what it's worth, Biden might be engaging in a bit of winner's charity here because he knows he's probably never going to have to actually live up to those words of actually campaigning enthusiastically for Bernie Sanders, but Bernie is probably going to be expected to campaign enthusiastically for Biden, and he did not commit to doing so in the clear verbiage that Biden committed to him. Like, he stopped just short of actually saying, yes, I will campaign for Biden. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, this is going to get messy. And for what it's worth, at this point, little side note, um, Bernie does not have any plans on dropping out anytime soon, which means he's going to take this to the convention. Bet. Watch. The kind of the most notable thing that came out of the debate was another thing that Biden did a hardcore commit to, which was that first off, he doubled down on his commitment for nominating a black woman to the Supreme Court. And he also committed to picking a woman as his VP pick which he had not done that before. He had not publicly said and committed to saying, I will pick a female as my vice presidential pick. Um, Rumor Mill has it right now that Klobuchar is getting looked at for that. Um, obviously, this is incredibly premature. We're still in March. And like I said, um, primaries are getting pushed back due to coronavirus. So when exactly a VP announcement would be made... I don't know at this point. In fact, I don't I don't even know when we're having conventions at this point. That's even up in the air. There's just there's a lot of things up in the air because of our current coronavirus situation. But he did commit to choosing a woman as his VP pick. So we will have a gender blended Democratic ticket. So there's that. <laughs> it's just I was like, oh, wow. OK, um, moving on, though. Finally, 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 if you've listened to any of my debate recaps, you have heard me bitch time and time and time again that there's not been a discussion on immigration. Finally, for the love of God, we had a discussion on immigration. Glory, hallelujah. And there were actually some valuable tidbits to be had from this conversation on immigration. Um, Biden flatly committed to only deporting convicted felons as president. So that would mean that DACA 
recipients would be safe, provided they don't become convicted felons. Um, people that are here undocumented, provided they're not convicted felons, would be able to stay. They would not get deported. And there was talk of creating immigration reform and creating a path to citizenship. And both men advocate for this. Both men support it. And obviously, so do I. Um, I mean, we, we've got to get this figured out on the congressional level, guys. Like this, this ad hoc executive branch shit has got to stop. Congress has got to sit down. They've got to do immigration reform. They've got to figure out what the fuck we're doing. We have to figure out a pathway to citizenship for people that are here. Like this is, this is a no brainer. So I was happy to have this conversation and to hear Biden commit to that. Obviously, Bernie feels much the same way because he does have very good views, honestly, on social issues. And he is also very good on war issues. And Bernie does deserve credit for that. As shitty as, as his economic policies are, especially his domestic economic policies, I mean, he is good on some things. I, and hey, give him a round of applause. Like, he's been on the right side of history on the Iraq war vote. He's been on the right side of history on a couple of criminal justice issues. So there is that. And both men also flatly, like flatly said no to whether they would support local police departments turning over undocumented people to ICE, which good. You know what? ICE can go do their own fucking job. Stop expecting local PD to do your job. Fuck you. Abolish ICE anyway. Just just get rid of ICE. But that was nice to hear both men say that basically I'm not going to expect the local PD to do ICE's job for them. That was good. I like that. And, and so we finally had a conversation about immigration. Not as long as I would like. Not as, not as comprehensive as I would like. But at this point, I'll take it because it's better than nothing. And then to wrap up the debate, of course, we had to touch on climate change, which... Honestly, if you've watched any of these debates, if you've watched any of the climate change discussions, there is nothing new to be discussed here. The one thing I did find super notable is that at no point in this debate was the word nuclear uttered once in a climate change debate. And that's nothing new. And I have been highly critical of this in that if you are discussing climate change, if you are discussing alternate forms of energy and you are not putting nuclear on the table, I am not taking you seriously as somebody who is really sitting down and thinking about what we can do to reduce emissions, what we can do to affect climate change, what we can do to move to cleaner sources of, of energy. I mean, sure, wind, fine, solar, fine, hydro, fine. I don't think any of those technologies are to the point where they are going to be able to provide the kind of energy that this country is going to need, both just on scale and demand. I mean, this is a very large country. We use a lot of energy. And some of these solutions that work for smaller countries that have less people and maybe use less energy, cool, that's fine for them. I just don't see how it's going to scale for the United States. Nuclear can. So unless you're putting that on the table and having that discussion, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm not taking you seriously. I'm just, you're just, you're not... You're leaving one of the best options off the table in order to pursue lesser options that are not going to meet the needs of this country. And so you're, I, I don't, no, no, I don't fuck with you. 
So, but like I said, everything else in that conversation, like if you've heard, if you've watched any of these debates, I mean, climate change has been discussed over and over and over and over and over and over again. And the Green New Deal has been discussed to death. And so there's nothing new here. So anyway, overall, like I said at the beginning of this, I genuinely liked this debate. I I thought this was good. Like, and, and especially coming off the last debate that was just an absolute fucking dumpster fire. Like, oh my God, this was nice. This was refreshing. And I do think that obviously only having two people on stage helps. Like I said, I think not having an audience helped tremendously. I think keeping this a small, intimate affair really helped keep the focus on the candidates and I have to give a round of applause to the moderators. Um, let's see, we had Jake Tapper and Dana Bash from CNN and Ilya Calderon from Univision. They did a fantastic job. And it was kind of a, a tale of two debates because in the last debate, you had less of a moderator presence. Oh, not less of a moderator presence, but... Basically, everybody on stage was just running all over the moderators. It's like they might as well have not even been there. This was a situation where you had three people who were very, very good at their jobs and knew when to talk and also when to kind of sit back and let the candidates talk. And there were stretches of time, like five, six, seven minutes, where the moderators did not interrupt at all. They just let them go. They just let them talk. And there were time restraints put on things like there was at the beginning of every debate, they say, okay, you have X amount of time to answer this question and then you have Y amount of time for rebuttal. But as the debate wore on, that kind of got put to the side and not because either candidate was just running all over the moderators. It's just the moderators sat back and were like, you know what? Let them debate. Just let them debate. And that I think made for a really good viewing experience because you got a really good idea of the differences between the two men. So big round of applause to the moderators on this one for not losing complete control of the debate and allowing the debate to be a debate. So good job to them. Um, My winner for the debate, and this should be no surprise, was Joe Biden. I mean, it's just, and that's not to say that I like Joe Biden or support Joe Biden, but in this moment, in this particular time that we are in, in this country, having somebody like Joe Biden, who everybody kind of knows, everybody's kind of like, oh, it's Joe. We know Joe. He's just, he's an all right guy. He's what passes for a centrist now, which the Overton window has moved so far to the left that, I mean, the, the things that Biden supports, like, five years ago would not be considered centrist, but it is centrist now in comparison to Bernie Sanders, which is now the only other option. And I think that if somebody were watching that debate and they were going into the Democratic primary and they're trying to figure out, okay, who do I want to support? I really think that Biden would win that person's vote because he just kind of came off as just like the nice pragmatic guys. Like, I don't want to I don't want to change all the things. I don't want to upend everything. I don't want to take your health care. I don't want to do this, that, and the other. I just, just just kind of want to keep things running. I want to keep things smooth and simple and borderline boring. And at this point, 
I think that is going to resonate with a lot more people than Bernie Sanders kind of wanting to burn the whole thing down. So, yeah, I, I think Biden really came out on top of this one. Um, Like I said, primaries are kind of up in the air right now. Um, As I am recording this, which is on the 17th, um, Florida is actually having their primary today. Um, amazingly enough, Ohio did end up delaying theirs, but I'll cover that a little more in the weekly roundup. But we are having primaries today. Where primaries stand after this, I'm not sure. Um, there is supposed to be another debate in April, but again, due to coronavirus, scheduling for things is just very fluid. Is things are getting pushed back. Um, I don't know as if they would cancel that debate, but I don't know like date and time and location and how that would be handled. This this all remains to be seen. Like it's, this is just a very, very weird time in this country. Very unprecedented. There's a lot of things up in the air. And, and just that alone, I think, works in Biden's favor a lot better because he looks like a more stabilizing force than Bernie. So anyway, that is my recap of the 11th Democratic primary debate. If there was a 12th, I will obviously do that too, just for the sake of completeness of this project. And hopefully we'll all still be here and we won't all be dead. I don't think we'll all be dead. I think we're going to be fine. I think it's going to, it's not going to be nothing, but I, Lord, anyway, we'll talk about that more on the weekly roundup because that's a little beyond the scope of this one. So if you did make it this far, as always, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.